0: How many of you want to be just like Paul when you grow up? (laughs) Sound like a cakewalk, eh? Are you willing to endure what he endured? Does your faith mean that much to you? Or instead of being let down in the basket for running for your life, will you sneak out the back door and not stand tall to begin with? The last, well, July and and August, and we'll have a couple more in in September. I, I think... Well, I know. We've had more missionaries visit and, and give their presentations in the last couple months, I think, than in the first three years I was here. It's, it's, we're, we're not on the main thoroughfare to anywhere up here, and it's kind of tough to, to get missionaries um, to, to fit us into their schedule, to fit us into their travel plans. But it's been a pleasure. I know we had we had Erica and Justin several months ago, and then I, we had Coddles a couple of years ago. Um, but we've been blessed to to have them. But it's good. I to, for me, this Sunday is good to to get back. Oh, and we had the church picnic in there too. To to get back in the saddle here, to get back in the pulpit. Dick gave me a book. I'm finally reading it, Dick. I'm I'm almost done with the first book that he gave me about a year or so ago, and it's and it's for pastors. Uh, it's written by a couple other, we'll say, well-known pastors, famous pastors, whatever. But one of the things the that, that the chapter I'm reading on now talks about having the privilege to be paid to study the Word of God, and they say at the same time to that 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 some can can. Overstudy and overemphasize that, and you know that's something to be cautious about too. Some some people do it just so that they know everything, and they have their head full of all these knowledge and facts and things. So to be careful of that. But most importantly, is what a privilege it is to spend time in God's Word and to to listen to the Holy Spirit. And and pray that God will give me a message that he knows that you need to hear where you're at. And and the words that he gives are going to hit you somewhere differently than they're going to hit you. And they're going to hit you somewhere differently than they're going to hit her. Because the Holy Spirit can take the message of his word and apply it to each one of our hearts and our lives. I'm not that good. Okay. So if you ever feel like on a Sunday I'm picking on you and pointing right at you, that ain't me, that's the Holy Spirit, okay? Because I'm just preaching what comes next in the text. And, and hopefully we'll be sensitive in our hearts and in our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit, that we, that we won't shut him out, that we won't not want him to be that convicting spirit in our lives. Just a quick review to get us back up to where we are because it's, uh, I think we, we got one message in Acts at the end of July and since then it's been June just about, since since we've been regularly in Acts. But in chapter 9, the first couple verses talk about Saul and how he is continuing to wreak havoc on the church in Jerusalem, to, to persecute, to kill To slay, He stood by and gave his approval while the stoning of Stephen took place. And he's continuing on. He's gone to the high priest and he's gotten letters from the high priest saying that here's their stamp of approval. Go up to Damascus and, and bring back some of those fugitives, those Christians that have scattered, that have run away. Go get them and bring them back so we can judge them as well. And what was the whole issue over? What was the whole thing about? The whole thing was about Jesus being the Son of God, Jesus being the Savior, the Messiah. But the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin didn't want to accept that. They didn't want to accept that Jesus was the Savior or the Messiah because he he was killed on a tree. In the Old Testament it says, Cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. And that couldn't be the Son of God. That couldn't be their king, their hero. The one that they wanted to come in and throw off the Roman oppression? That couldn't be, couldn't possibly be. And so Saul, to the best of his ability, with all the energy that he had, was trying to stamp out Christianity with the approval of the high court. And so in verses one and two of chapter nine, we had Saul without the light. Okay, then in in verses 9, let's see, chapter 9, verses 3 through 9, we had Saul under the light on on the road to Damascus. He had an encounter with Jesus, and he was blinded by it. And we talked about Ananias, who was at first reluctant and said, Lord, you know who that guy is, right? We we, we mentioned before there was kind of like a a Jew willingly turning himself into the Gestapo during World War II and that that time in Germany. Why do you want me to do that, Jesus? Why, Why do you want me to go? Jesus told told Ananias. He says. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. If you followed Dick's reading in Second Corinthians eleven, it was listed. It was listed the different persecutions and the beatings and the whippings and the struggles that he went through. And I and I love at the end there where it says. And, and this was just besides the normally daily persecution, you know, just the daily stuff that that comes at me every day. This was the bigger stuff. So Ananias went and and, and did what God commanded him to do. He went into the house and put his hand on him, and said, "Brother, what a, what a step that was! The man that's been killing Christians, and and, and what what was the big change? We're going to look at that." The, the the 180, the turned around, okay? It was our theme for Bible school this summer, and our last three messages in Acts have been turned around. We're going to see here, uh, we are going to pick it up in, in Acts 9, um, 19b, the second half of the verse of 19, and this is the section. We, we had Paul without the light in the first couple of verses, then we had Paul under the light, literally blinding him as he saw Christ. I'm going to forget it. I Flip with me quickly, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 6. Somebody else that had an encounter with, with the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw, and this is Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I hope that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you look forward to that day where we will see the King, the Lord of hosts. We will be there in his presence for eternity. But as Isaiah had had this privilege, and it obviously shook him to his roots, so Saul had that encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, the vision that blinded him for three days. The opportunity for him to, as we read in Psalm 46.10, be still, And know that he is God. And he's going to have more opportunity. We're going to see that. To be still and spend time with the Lord uh, in preparation for his ministry. Verse 19b. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus. Now we know that that Saul was raised in the, the school of Gamaliel. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but Gamaliel. He was a smart guy. He was well educated. He had his PhD in Judaism. He knew knew all the laws of the Pharisees. He knew all the ins and the outs. But here he's doing a 180. He's being turned around. And, And what he saw on the road to Damascus when he had that encounter with Jesus had to have been something amazing, but it was something that helped him to understand that what he had been teaching and what he had been trying to stamp out, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, okay, what, what he had been teaching was wrong and what he was trying to stamp out was the right. We've, we've been saying all along that Jesus fulfilled the Law and Jesus fulfilled the? The Pharisees didn't want to accept that again because Jesus had been hung on a cross and cursed is the one that's hung on a cross. Couldn't possibly have been the fulfillment of the law. Couldn't have been the fulfillment of uh, the temple. Couldn't have been the Messiah, the Savior, the one that they were looking for. But now Saul sees it. Now Saul gets it. He had the encounter with Christ. He saw Christ and was convinced through that experience that Christ was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, he was the Savior. He immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, let's pause just right there, turn to Acts 17.2, just quickly. This is one of the verses I pointed out at the beginning of our study that we would refer to frequently, and it will be more so as we get deeper into the book. But Acts 17, 2 and 3, and according to Paul's custom, he went with them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the current commentaries from the current teachers in the schools. No, no. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And that is the message that Saul is now preaching. This is the Christ. This is the one. The one I was trying to stamp out. The one who is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is Jesus. He is the Son of God. So he immediately began to proclaim Jesus. Look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on and says that at that point that, that he is going to give Peter the keys to the kingdom. And Peter is, plays a key role in taking the, the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the, to the Gentiles. Because we well, we know that Peter was one of the shy ones. He always he always seemed to be right there with the answer. He's usually right, not every time, but usually he was right. But here he is spot on. He nailed it, talking about hitting it out of the park. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And that's the message that Saul is now preaching in the synagogue to the Jews, the ones that he was just trying to put in change and take back to Jerusalem for trial, for death, for stoning, for persecution. So he's in the synagogue back in Acts 9 verse 20 saying He is the Son of God, and all those hearing him continued to be amazed, and they were saying, "Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests?" Sounds kind of like what Ananias was saying. Lord, you want me to go to this guy? He's the one killing Christians must have been a good question because there was a whole lot of other disciples and Jews that had the same same question. Wait a minute. Time out. Verse 22, but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. If we go back just a couple chapters, I believe, yeah, Acts chapter 7, Stephen, and that, that's his... Uh, his message there is about 50 verses long it's about 5 or 6 columns in my bible and the whole time he's trying to convince the sanhedrin exactly what paul is saying or saul is saying here that he is the son of god stephen preached to them Guys, don't you see? Look at our history, look at our fathers. This is the one that we were foretold would be here. For the the the, the one who was, was coming to be Messiah. And in Acts chapter seven fifty one, after after he preaches this message, he tells, he tells the Sanhedrin exactly what they wanted to hear. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your father not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the Righteous One, whose betrayers and murders you have become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you did not keep it. Here he, he's, he's sitting trying to get the message across to them that this was the Savior, this was the Messiah. This Christ was the one that they were waiting for. This Christ was the one that the prophets foretold. And then he just kind of lays into them. They said, okay, you want to go there? We're going to kill you. And they did. Now, it's a, and, and, and remember that Saul was standing there holding the cloaks of those that killed Stephen, and in the next six or eight verses there, that's what happens. They stone him, and Saul's standing there holding the coats, giving his vote, yeah, stone him, kill him, because he's teaching something that was against what the Pharisees wanted to proclaim. Get back to chapter 9, and Saul is, is preaching and teaching exactly the same thing that Stephen had been preaching and teaching. Saul, verse twenty-two. Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus. I, I, um, I always was was. What's the word I want to say? Impressed with with Ravi Zacharias and his ability to and his, his his skill in apologetics and be able to defend the faith and his sense of logic, um, to me, was just amazing. But right here we see Saul confounding the Jews with the truth, confounding them, almost playing at their own game, since since he had the pedigree and he had the, it's, it's kind of interesting, Stephen didn't have any of that Schooling. He didn't have his Ph.D. Saul did, though. And Saul came back at him, just like Stephen had. So what's the the common thread there? Stephen didn't have the education. Saul had it all. Every every opportunity grew up in the best schools. What's, What's the common thread? They spent time with Jesus. Saul, very quickly, in that moment, and then that three days on the road to Damascus, saw, literally saw the light. He's going to get some more time here. There is, there is a pause between verse 22 and 23. At the beginning of verse 23, and it says, And when many days had elapsed, well, it's, that's kind of understated there, because that many days was actually three years. Turn with me to Galatians 1, if you would. For the, for the sake of just bringing it together, I, I could just read two verses here to, to, to make that point. But I'm going to read more, more of the passage here to just help get the bigger picture and so that we don't go back and forth so often, so many times. verse 10 Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God or am I striving to please men Let's pause there for a second. Those are a couple of good questions for us to ask ourselves. What what is our goal? What is our purpose? Who are we trying to please? Are we trying to please one another, or are we trying to please our Heavenly Father? For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Specifically on the road to Damascus. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. I talk about an overachiever. This guy put his whole heart into it. I was extremely more zealous for my ancestral traditions. He was trying to defend the position of the Pharisees and Sadducees before he came to Christ. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. That I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood before Saul was born. Christ already had that encounter planned on the road to Damascus. We we talked, I think it was last Sunday, about the, the number of exact days between the day that Artaxerxes signed the decree. And that Jesus came into into the city on his triumphal uh, uh, tri- his triumphal donkey on on Palm Sunday. That it was exactly the number of days that had been prophesied. This is pretty. This is pretty good stuff too. Before he was born, Christ had this arranged and set up that he was going to have this encounter with Saul. To cause Saul to turn, well, 180, and instead of trying to persecute, kill, and wipe out the church, he was trying to fertilize it, preach it, teach it, and grow it. Because when he had that encounter with Christ, he understood that Christ is the Son of God, that Christ is our Savior. He was to the Jews the Messiah. I'm going to read it again and then we'll move on. 15. (laughs) But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. To become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for fifteen days. So for three years, Saul is spending time in in the desert, basically in Arabia, with the Lord. He says, "I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, because for three years he just sat in was under the ministry of the Holy Spirit." To teach him and to train him. Some some say because he became apostle that that was to equal the three years that the disciples had spent with Christ, the apostles. Maybe, maybe not. God, God, God doesn't have to make it like that. It doesn't all have to be symmetrical and, you know, this for that. Could be. Not going to argue over that point. It's not something to lose my faith over, that's for sure. But for three years... Saul was spending time with the Lord, being ministered to, being taught, gaining strength in the, in the, uh, the Holy Spirit. It takes time to, to retrain everything in your being. God can make it happen overnight, He can do that. But He chose to set Saul aside for three years. Maybe to let things calm down in Jerusalem, let them calm down in Damascus, who knows? God doesn't tell us what his purpose was here. But we know that during that time, Saul was meeting with the Lord. And Saul was growing as as we go back to Acts 9. As it says in verse 22, but Saul kept increasing in strength, not his strength, but a spiritual strength through the power of the Holy Spirit and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Okay. And then he goes away to Arabia as we saw in Galatians chapter one for three years. And then we're back to verse 23. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul it didn't take long to, Whatever that dust settled in that three years didn't take long to stir it back up. They were watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. And his disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And we're going to kind of see the same story over again. When he'd come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Again, as, as we read in verse 21... Is this he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who call on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? Got back to Jerusalem, the disciples were asking the same questions as they asked up in Damascus. Now, I, I love this. There's, there's a couple buts here. And, and I always talk about, it. I'd, love to, I'd love to preach a series someday on the but gods in the Bible. This, 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 but God. Okay, we we know that um, Joseph was, was the first big one that I was introduced to. And, and, and his brothers, you know, sold him into Egypt. And they came down when there was a famine. And Joseph was the second ruler in command in, in Egypt. And he told his brothers, you sent me here for bad and evil. But God, but God had a plan. Okay, here we have a ba- Barnabas. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to... He, he literally took hold of him. He grabbed him. He said, you, come with me. We're going to go. We're going to go and set this straight. We're going to make this right with the other brothers. Barnabas took hold of him, brought him to the apostles, described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had talked to them, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And when he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. I don't think Saul would have ever been accused of being the shy one. He was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. If you want to go back to chapter 6 and see a little bit about the Hellenistic Jews complaining about the widows and that. They always seemed ready for a fight. But they were attempting to put him to death. Because he was preaching the truth. He was preaching Jesus. When the brethren learned of it, verse 30, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. That's where his home was. That's where he came from. And verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria Samaria enjoyed peace. Being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. The church increased. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. There where it talks about the fear of the Lord. I know that we've talked about this in the past. I don't know how long ago. But being in the fear of the Lord, Psalm 19. That says that the fear of the Lord is... Let me find it here. Hmm. Okay, I'll turn there. Psalm 19, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. But the the fear of the Lord there isn't a oh, like that. It's a reverential awe of who He is. That's why He is awesome. You will never hear me refer to anything else as awesome other than our God. He is is awesome. But his... The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It has the the element of reverential awe, but at the same time, and I know we mentioned this in years past, that it had the element of hating sin. It wasn't just an awe for God and, and a worship of Him, but there's also the component of hating sin, wanting nothing to do with it trying to keep it out of our lives at any cost and how can you have the right fear of God if you love sin the, 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 the two that's oil and water they don't mix together it doesn't go together so it's either one or the other second Corinthians 517 if any man, be in Christ, He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Folks, salvation is by grace alone. There is nothing that we can do. No works, no amount of works. And if it was by works, how many works? Who knows? Doesn't doesn't give us that description in the Bible. That's how we know that that's not the way it works. Ephesians 2.8.9 specifically tells us that it isn't by works. But it's by grace and grace alone. Saul now walked humbly before God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to do. That's how we need to live. Is to walk humbly. Humbly before our God. To acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. And in, this, in the New Testament, when it talks about that Jesus is the Christ, to the Jew, that means you can, you can put under that either Savior or Messiah in place of Christ. They're synonymous. Christ, Savior, Messiah. when we say that He is the Christ, it's acknowledging that He is the Son of God, that He is the way, He is the only way of salvation. Bow your heads if you would, please. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never accepted Him as your personal Savior, if you've never humbled yourself and come under His authority, If you've never humbled yourselves and said, God, I'm a sinner, forgive me. Folks, you need to do it before it's too late. I've kept our... Just as a reminder to me, I've kept one of our songs from VBS up here. It says, let's get started. Let's get started and tell of Jesus. Let's get started. We must begin to tell the whole world about our Savior, to tell the whole world about our friend. The time is now. We can't wait. The message cannot be late. That Jesus died for our sin and that he rose again. Folks, if you know him, you need to share him. You need to be telling those around you. Of Jesus and his great love for us. And that he gave his son for us. And that he is the only way. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you. We exalt you. It's my prayer that as a church we would keep you on the throne always that we would proclaim Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that as we may endure persecution and sometime your your word said that if we are living righteously that we righteously that we will be persecuted. Father, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to endure that persecution because it's only in you that we could possibly endure. Thank you for The witness of your word. May it change us, Father. May it change who we are, that we would be more like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.